very, very honouring of you. And uh, I hope that uh, the second part of um, this conversation that we're having about where does Jesus fit uh, will be helpful. Um, I'm glad that we have established from the beginning um, that, you know, this is putting things on the table to talk about. We're not saying this is it or, you know, you have to believe this. But it's actually uh, putting things on the table to try and answer some of the questions that exist. Um, it was funny, I was writing these things on the board and I'd put the names here. You know, there's Constantine there, there's Anselm, there's Calvin and Luther. And then here I'd put Chris Chapman and Anthony said, are you going to write everybody who's messed up Christianity over the last uh, 2,000 years? And uh, that sounds a bit silly, but... It is a bit like that, in all honesty, because whether we want to admit it or not, from the appearance of Jesus, we do have a lot of uh, things happening and people using uh, the, the uh, whole thing of Jesus's death and resurrection for their own ends and often was for powerful ends. And therefore, it became certain things in order to keep people controlled. And, um, you know, we're here now in 2018 and I've put Q and we can have a little bit of a giggle about that. But the truth is we're asking the same questions that have been asked for 2,000 years. And sometimes you think, well, surely we're going to figure it out. Well, it's because um, of the fact that we're dealing with, first of all, uh, written texts which are very ancient, of course. They, they are there. We have that as, as, as proof in one sense of things that were written. And, of course, you've got archaeology that also speaks to give evidence of things that uh, are there. But when it really comes down to the meaning of Jesus, the cross, his resurrection, the majority of it comes down to faith. And that's why it becomes a, a, a bit of an issue because faith is always going to be uh, thought about differently from everybody, whether it's culture. You know, the, the people in China are going to think faith in terms very, very differently from us because of their history and their culture. Uh, and, and also uh, just to do with the way that you're wired. I mean, I know for a fact that... Um, you know, Anthony and I are coming up 42 years of wedded bliss uh, this coming week. And um, we are so different the way that we're wired that it's not just that we do things differently in the course of our lives, but we even process information differently because of my upbringing, because of things that were very much drilled into me as a child. I look through that lens and even though I'm desperately trying to change and I let things that I learn dilute some of that and, and I find better ways of operating, I'm still aware that there is a particular bent or a bias where I look at information and it goes through that bent and I come out with it in a particular way. Now, whether we like it or not, for the last here we are, and I mean, we've talked about this before, and I'm just going to quickly cover it again. Since the 1500s, Western uh, Christianity has been very, very heavily influenced by this chap here called Calvin, John Calvin. And the meaning 
that we have of the cross and of Jesus is very much down to this guy who said, this is what I think it means. And he could give scripture to, to uh, corroborate what he thinks it means. And very much that was um, embraced uh, in the West. And I say the West because it actually is very different in the East. Very different in the East. Uh, Christianity is very different in the East, as well as spirituality is very different in the East. Can somebody take the lid off my water, please? And And so, very much of our churches uh, who, quote, preach the gospel, it's very much uh, based on the meaning that this guy gave it 1,500 years ago. Now, if you go back to this point, this guy he was the, uh, the Bishop of Canterbury. Well, was it? Can no, Canterbury. Yes, he was. I thought he was. In 1100, he had an idea of what it meant. And so for that nearly 500 years, it was his idea that ruled the roost. Before then, Constantine got involved. And I'll tell you what, I find it so amazing that we should be in the city where Constantine was uh, crowned emperor because the, the, the um, mischief uh, that he is responsible for, and I'm not just blaming him on his own, I mean, there's lots of other people involved, but the, but the fact that we're in the city where he was uh, crowned emperor, but also he's very much responsible, again, uh, for Christianity as we know it, because he was the one who pulled together um, the, the, the very much failing Roman Empire and decided that a good idea was instead of having a military empire of Rome, which was fading, we'll now have a spiritual empire, which became the Roman Catholic Church. If you think about it, you had an emperor over the military uh, who was like God. You now have the Pope, but that's over spiritual issues where the uh, emperor was over military issues. And so in many ways, all that happened here was you got a... a, a, a um, a replacement of uh, military power with what you would call spiritual power, but there was still that same level of control. So where the dominated uh, countries by military power, it was now a domination of what you would call spiritual power. Now, that was, that's then. Now, I know you might think, what on earth are you doing? I'm going backwards. Because can you see this little star here between Jesus and three... Uh, 13, when Constantine sort of got involved and basically he shouldn't have, I've got this star here because this is the bit that I'm interested in between Jesus' death and I say resurrection but supposed resurrection because I, I cannot prove that. I believe it happened, but I can't prove it, but I'm saying his death and resurrection. And between that and here... Something happened that was quite fantastic and it was like nothing that had happened before. And the reason why we have to go back is because here, in this history before Jesus, there were things that happened that were so common that, well, you know, I've wrote, written there, gods, to a penny. You've got hundreds, you've got thousands of them. Gods were very much understood, known, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But then suddenly you get to here and the, the whole definition of God changed 
It was just something happened. And um, again, we're back to faith. We have to believe it in our hearts because we can't sort of go back and find some, you know, piece of paper and proof of whatever that, that actually gives us that evidence other than in our hearts we say by faith we believe it. But something happened here. Now, we're going to talk about what happened there because I think, and, and I'm, you know, having not looked at my notes as I tend to do, this is where I believe that Q here are desperately trying to get back to. It's saying, what is the, 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 the thing back here that identified those who would have this experience of Jesus and what he had come to do, how it had changed society and why its incredible change made Constantine think, do you know what? I need to connect with this because there's something in it that's fantastic. But what we find is that that's where the mischief comes. Instead of it being wonderfully kept, and I've put here, look, heretics and atheists. I'm sorry if I'm in the way. These people here who knew this experience of Jesus and what he'd come to do, although their names were Christians because they were Christ followers, they were actually called heretics and they were called atheists. Now you think, what? That's ridiculous. The reason why they were called heretics was because they all believed different things. And you think, nah, that, that can't be right. How can you have a, a group of, 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 quote, believers all believing different things? Well, the truth is, they did. Because they came from all different walks of life. They interpreted Jesus and what had happened in very different ways through their own lens. But they knew something in here was fantastic had happened. We'll talk about that a bit more later. The reason why they were called atheists, and again, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but we might as well do it how it flows, because um, that's often the way people hear it best. Um, they were called atheists because suddenly, because history was filled with gods and the way you were meant to behave with gods, suddenly this group here were behaving totally different than what you would expect a God-believer or a God-devoted person would act like. They were sort of God-less more than they were God-full. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it was just the difference between this very religious, very God-dominated um, way of being that these people here who'd supposedly had this experience here seemed godless to the rest as opposed to, as opposed to God full. Does that make sense? Can I have another drink? Now you're allowed to make noise. It might help me a little bit because I'm very nervous. Now did that come over quite, quite clear? So when we start talking about what where Jesus fits, um, again, I can find it very easy to say where he doesn't as opposed to where he does because deconstruction is far easier than construction and anybody will tell you if you're building a house, you know, to take a wrecking ball and smash something down is far easier than having plans made and measurements taken and knowing exactly where you're going to plumb in and where the wall has to come and all this, that and the other. 
And sadly, when um, we go through sometimes these uh, questions of faith, we find that we almost have to destroy the lot and then start building again because some things get damaged in the process that you think, oh, I wish I'd have kept that. I mean, how many of us have done um, house renovations where we think, yeah, I want rid of that, and then we suddenly think, oh, we'd actually, we ought to have kept, kept that. I just think it's absolutely wonderful in the context of the whole story that in the journey that we take in our attempt to find meaning um, of, 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 of the spiritual and, and of faith issues, that we, we actually can't get it wrong. Now, some people would argue with that with me and say, yes, you can get it wrong. But if we're believing in a more beautiful gospel, the truth is we can't. Because if our hearts are open, then ultimately we're going to be nudged along the way. And even if I drop something that maybe I shouldn't have dropped at one point, I'll be nudged along to pick it back up at some point if my heart is open. And I know for me I've had to deconstruct a lot of things, mainly because of how I was brought up. And um, whether, again, I use, I'll use this phrase quite a lot, whether we like it or not... Sometimes our view of God is based on, um, well, it can work both ways. It can be one uh, where, for me, my view of God originally was, was because of what I understood authority to be in my life and, and, and how things uh, worked uh, in my life. It can happen the other way around. When you've had an experience of how wonderful a father is or whatever, you see then, you project that then onto God. So you can either, either have an authoritarian God who is very strict because of an experience, or you can have a very liberal God because of your experience. Now you'll say, well, surely there's truth uh, somewhere that, that one is right and the other is wrong. Well, I actually want to say no, because for you... In your experience, you will create meaning by the way that you put information through your sieve. Now, is there a truth about the character and nature of God? I believe yes. But coming to the understanding for that in your life, you will find that you will put it through sieves that sometimes uh, are not conducive with the real character and nature of God. You will do it because... There are things that help uh, you sway a particular way. Now, I hope I've made that clear. My thing's gone off, so let me get it back. I do to fix how this doesn't go off. Um, so there's lots of things uh, in, in, in my life that, coming back to this, this was my understanding. It's, it was the... And Anne talked about it last week, so I'm not going to talk about it again. But the understanding of a God that need to, needed to be appeased... And, um, you know, basically what, how Jesus fit was that he was the sacrifice, but he was the sacrifice that was punished by God for our sin. And uh, there's lots of issues with that. And um, that's why Q is what it is today, because we have been willing to ask all those questions, those things that would come to mind. And some of them you think, well, how on earth did those questions come? And, and you think, well, it's because my heart was open to for a more beautiful gospel to understand things uh, differently and um, some of the um, things that we have to touch it can feel very uncomfortable it's like if you've got a wound and you 
you know, you're touching that wound, it's, it, it's sore or whatever. It can be the same with our doctrines. We can get to a place where they are so sacred to us that we, we, we know that somewhere along the line they don't make sense, but we hang on to them because we don't question and we're afraid. So there has to be a bravery that asks some questions. And um, like I say, I could, I could give you a, a list of hundreds of questions uh, that, that didn't make sense. But then what you have to do is reconstruct to come to a place where you have a, 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 a thing that does make sense. And this is what we're wanting to talk about tonight. So I look at the, the Bible and I feel very, very sorry um, when you, you, know, you, you, you pick up a Bible and you so desperately want to understand it. And you recognise that for one thing it's going to take you such a long time to even read it all. And in the reading of it all, you're going to be faced not just with one story, because any book that you read usually contains a story and you have a beginning, a middle and an end and you can figure out what the plot was, etc. When you look at the Bible, it's not just one story. It's hundreds of stories. There's many stories that actually don't fit with each other, that, that, that don't actually help the other. They're just there for whatever reason. And... Um, I feel very sad for people who are saying, why is it that it's so difficult? And there can be a bit of a resentment that says, why do I have to listen to somebody else explain what it means to me? Well, it's just the way it goes. Because at the end of the day, any subject of any depth, you go to university or whatever to, 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 to get some understanding. You look for scholars, people who have got... Uh, uh, some, some knowledge or, or a, a well-versed or can, um, have, have, have read a lot and, and have had a background. And um, when I stand here, I, you know, I, don't, I don't want you in any way to think of me as, a, as an expert, but I'm somebody who's been willing to, to research and to, to ask the questions and to, to look for answers. And so on that basis, I feel as though at least I can throw them back at you and say, okay, well, this is, this is what I found out. Now, um, what all human beings want are explanations, aren't there? And, and meanings to why things are like they are. Just something very simple as that. We, we just want to know why things are the, as they are. Why am I here? What's my purpose on the earth? And then, of course, all those questions move to something else. Well, how did I get here? And uh, who made me? And then, of course, you've got the, the uh, you either go the evolution route, or, of course, then you potentially can go the theology route, which, if you take the Bible, we're taken back to a story of, the, of Adam and Eve, which sort of uh, is supposed to explain our origins, which... I don't believe for a minute that that's really it. Um, mainly because that story was only written uh, many, 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 many years after Israel had actually written their own story about their own, uh, their own nation or the, the, the origins of their own nation. Just because we see it at the beginning of the Bible and it says in the beginning God created and then we get on to Adam, Adam and Eve, we automatically assume that that's the story of creation. But actually, it, it can be many things, and that's the problem. Oh, why can't it just mean one thing? 
It doesn't, and that's the same with so many things. Now, I think it would be lovely if basically what uh, we had a little pamphlet that just said, you know, this is the new version of the Bible according to Jesus, and all it says inside it is something like, love one another as I have loved you, end. Now, wouldn't that be wonderful that you could say, this is the theology of of, of Q or whatever, or of um, a Jesus believer, a Jesus follower, that's, that's it. Love one another as I have loved you. Wouldn't that be so much better? And yet the text which actually represents Christianity is this huge book. Are you with me? So it, it, I, I feel very, very sorry for people. And then, of course, coming up with those meanings as we look through the Bible... We are trying to answer the questions, like I say, about our origins and, um, you know, why, why things are like they are. And usually and it, the, the basic one is the answer to evil. Why does evil exist? Why do horrible things happen? Um, so we ask, is humanity sinful to the core, you know, at its core? Or, or is that not the case? And if you think about it, in order to answer each of those questions from a theological standpoint... We have to come up with a meaning. We have to find within the text a story that fits with what, what we think. So we end up creating a Satan. We have fallen angels. Um, we have God, who in the Old Testament is a tyrant and very, very murderous. But he's doing it because of this very special group of people that he you know, he cares for and he's wanting to, to, you know, to make them something, but nobody else seems to matter. Israel's the one who re really matters and, and the rest don't. And uh, of course, we, we have so many meanings. Now, our desire for meaning potentially can be our own downfall because wanting to understand our condition and also find a cure means that ultimately we've got, and it's been said before, 30,000 denominations, and they're just Christian. So there you've got at least 30,000 different approaches to the meaning of not just Jesus and the cross, but the whole understanding of the Bible. Now that's sad for me because I, I think to myself, well, no wonder people feel that they can't get with it. It's like, ah, you know. So, enter stage. Religion. Now, if you remember what the word... Uh, religion means it's means return to bondage because we always find that if we can find a set of beliefs that make us feel secure we will trust those as answers even if they don't really give you the answers it's just it makes us feel secure and uh, so religion gives us beliefs that we accept as answers to these existential questions and um, for some people, that's it. Just give me that. And that's why we've got the situation where there's, there's millions and millions of people who accept this without question because it's like, well, at least I know where I stand. You know, I give my heart to Jesus. I say the sinner's prayer. I get saved. And then I must be holy because that's the little bit that's the, the, the small print, though, because there's always the possibility that I could lose this because I might not just get it right. I might not live the way God wants me to live. And therefore I might lose it. But at least we know that if I try my best in here, I stand the best chance of 
going to heaven as opposed to hell. And we even understand from that, that this from, and we can't cover it all tonight, but even the doctrine of hell is something that's also been introduced, uh, you know, in here somewhere. Because um, it wasn't meant to be a history lesson, it was just meant to be something you could look at. Um, where even on that score it gets interesting because you've got the issue of, for instance, the cross is meant to be our salvation, but it's equally our damnation. Because those who believe it, it saves them. For those who just say, I don't believe it, it damns them. So can you see how this can be wonderful, but it can also be terrible? Now, again, you're saying, well, surely we've just got to take what it says. The other issue there, we would have to ask, did the people who wrote it say what they said because that's what they believed at the time? So they would be having integrity, but that's what they believed at the time. Or were they using words that we now translate differently and they put them into, them into their mouths, which means they're saying something very different than, than what we're saying. But ultimately, it's still down to faith. We have to come to a place where in our hearts we said, you know, that really fits with me in the context of how I see the Abba of Jesus and how it fits in the context of the cross. So, moving on. Um, I look at it like this. If you remember the uh, mandala that um, we, we showed, it's like sometimes you get this lovely picture and it's, oh, it's looking great. But then something changes, it, it, or the wind blows, and then it gets, it gets messed up and you think, heck, what's just happened? Something's uh, changed. And some people struggle with that because they don't like the quest because they believe, oh, well, you know, that's tiresome, that's changed. But then shouldn't that be, in essence, what God is? If God is so incredibly beyond and transcending so much, for us to even believe for a minute that we can put him in a box where we've got it all nicely, uh, you know, cordoned off and we know everything about him, would actually be very, very, very silly. So here's the thing. What your theology... Um, will give to you will be a meaning and uh, if you believe you're rotten to the core and uh, God can only look on you if he looks through Jesus then that's what your theology will reflect and so on that basis Jesus becomes the one who stands between you and God and basically God can only look at you through Jesus and you never ever become anything more than just somebody who is tolerated with me. Now, that makes your life pretty sad because you'll always be working from that point of view, even if you believe, well, God is love, but somehow I'm still, sep I'm still separated or I'm still, you know, not quite where I feel I, I ought to be. Um, as I say, we seem to have the need for uh, things to make sense to us now, the issue is with Christianity, it seems to only ever have one answer. And this was very helpful to me, so I hope it is to you. That I was brought up to distrust other disciplines. So, um, basically, the Bible just had all the answers. And so, anything else, um, like, you know, psychology and sociology and 
politics, economics, anthropology, and you can name more if you want to. Um, they didn't have a look in because they were all man-made and they were all very worldly. But when all said and done, what, what we tried to do uh, with religion was convert, convert very complicated issues into something that was just very, very uh, easily handled or digestible, but in fact didn't for one minute scratch where it itched. So we come up with the story of the fall, we come up with the story of fallen angels, we come up with uh, all sorts of things that we have a problem in order for something to fix. And that's really what religion does, and we've said this before, religion creates a problem, then it becomes its own answer to the problem, which keeps them people incredibly bound uh, for life. And that's not what Jesus came to do. Uh, and yet, we're back to what I said at the beginning, what Constantine did was take what was incredible and put it back into a religious mould. And that's what I'm you know, really trying to deal with tonight, to say, let's get back to that star bit up there in the middle. So I loved... Um, Oh, let me just say this, yeah. Whatever is behind our existence is for us and not against us. God is light and in him is no darkness at all or hostility. Isaiah prophesied, arise, shine, for your light is come. But we prefer darkness. Now, there's a scripture that I learned as a child and it was this. Yeah, men prefer darkness rather than light. What? Come on, Barbara can do it. Because their deeds are evil. And what was drilled into me was, you know, people who don't know the Lord, they love, they prefer darkness because they're evil people. But in fact, what that scripture is about is an actual uh, understanding that the darkness that was being talked about was the darkness of religion that existed, the law-dominated religion of the Jewish culture that even though Jesus had come as the light to obliterate that darkness, to usher in a totally different system, which I could say wasn't a system at all, but was actually the obliterating of a system. But people said, no, we would rather have the darkness, the law, than, than light. And when it says because the deeds are evil, it's not because they wanted to go to pub and have a drink or do some sort of what we would call sinful things. Their deeds were evil because the burdens that were being put on the backs of ordinary people were evil. The people were suffering. The people under, were under great oppression. And the light had come to set them free from the law. And the, the Pharisees and the scribes and, and the, the high priests wouldn't. Now, the reason why they wouldn't was because they were in bed with the Roman Empire, wanting to keep everything nicely, you know, controlled. And so when Jesus turned up, he literally threw everything uh, into chaos because he said, no, you... And, and, and the wonderful picture of that is the, the um, going into the temple and turning over the tables. He says, no, he says, you're making my father's house a den of thieves. And it was because the ordinary people who 
ought to have been able to approach, who ought to have been able to find refuge in the temple, couldn't because... They couldn't because it had become big business. And so business ruled. And sadly, and we'll talk about this a, a bit if I can never get back on track, um, that is exactly what has become of the church even in, in today's day and age. It's become big business. And where really the people who need to be got to, to be helped, to be included... Um, are not getting anywhere. They're not, they're not getting in there because of that. Now, let, let's just move on. So, uh, I loved what Anne said last week about the uh, analogy of, of the oneness, the relationship. When, when he talked about the, you know, the blood for covenant and the, the, the blood that uh, was... Uh, what's the word when it's not actually, but by implication, was used to remove the rib and make the wife so that they become one... And then he, the picture of Jesus, the side that was, that was uh, uh, pierced in order that something could be birthed. It, it's wonderful. And I like that because it is a more beautiful gospel. It's something that rather than the fixing of a problem, we have the propelling of a purpose. Now, isn't that just more beautiful, right? So for me, when I think of Jesus, I definitely think that. Nah, we ain't fixing a problem here. We're propelling a pur- purpose. What Jesus was wanting was oneness re- re-established with us all. And we'll talk about that a little bit later too. But I want to come at it from a slightly different angle, but definitely coming back to the same issue of oneness. But actually, in this whole issue of, of gods, it, it's very, very interesting, this, this history part. And I didn't put Old Testament there, <laughs> if you notice, because it's not really about Old Testament history. It's just about history of the world. In history, the thing was, people somehow needed gods. There are some say that there's a religious impulse in our brain, uh, that it's in our DNA, and that somehow we have this need to always create something that's above us, better than us. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I, again, I take what uh, what experts can tell me. And I think, well, yeah, I can see why that might be true. And, um, you know, if you look back at really way, way back at very ancient burial sites, uh, right from the beginning, um, it's obvious that people believed that there was something more because they were buried facing the sun. They were buried with stuff that, you know, that they loved or whatever. And, and, and you know, it, it's just very clear that, that there was... Something in, in, in their minds that said that there was, there was more. And so this idea that there was a realm, you know, of the gods. And uh, multiple gods were created, like I said at the beginning, because of culture. And um, in the stories of the Bible, you see that because you see that all these other tribes and, and countries around Israel all had their own god. And they did all different things. And I suppose in their head... Their God was the right God and, you know, Israel thought their God was, you know, the right God. And um, we need also good gods and we need bad, bad gods because, excuse me, because it has to also reflect 
who we are. Well, we've got good in us, we've got bad in us. Therefore, whoever's out there is just a super, superior version of us. So um, we end up with this very much a God uh, awareness um, and we've made them in order to help us understand the questions that we can't answer. And I'm not going to go into all that. You can go and you know, look at it yourself. You probably know more about it than me. But while we then became more sophisticated and no longer believed that like, you know, Thor was the god of lightning because we understood through science that actually lightning is to do with uh, think currents and things that happen in the sky. It's not a god called Thor anymore. We moved on, are you with me? So our understanding changed. But then there are some gods, and I think this is, this is for me an important part, there are some gods that we create that are not as easy, easy to shift as Thor, the god of thunder. And it's the ones that when we decide that we ought to be something else, better than what we are, and therefore we live our lives striving to achieve things. And people all over the world do it all the time, don't they? I need to be this, I need to be that. And we say, well, that's not a God. That's just, you know, a person's uh, desire to, to, to better themselves or what have you. But if it leads to the point where you're so self-sabotaging and self-hating, and it must be that you're doing it because you believe you have to be it, in order to, to appease something. So we end up with creating gods in order to basically make ourselves feel okay. And um, those gods that we create, and I know we've all got them in, in different forms now, uh, are not so easy to shift, are they, if you think about it. Um, but what were gods for? In ancient times, they were for productivity, they were for protection. And uh, they made sense of the world they knew. Um, there was something out there, super versions of themselves. And this was the idea. Surely if I, can, if I can somehow connect with that, they can give me a bit of who they are and make life a bit better for me and give me a bit of their wisdom and this, that and the other. And so the gods fought for people. And like I say, each tribe had different gods. And when a war was lost... Um, Basically, it was said, okay, well, your, your God beat us and therefore we have to assimilate into yours and your God becomes our God. It was all very, very easy. I mean, okay, we don't have this God anymore because that, that God didn't win the battle for us. So your God must be the real God. And they take that, that God on until somebody, and I, I find this just a bit uh, silly, but I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to explain. Um, somebody comes up with the idea that maybe there isn't lots of different gods. And the reason why we didn't win the battle was because we'd done something wrong. And our God is the only God, but he let us fail because we'd sinned. Now, do you see how cha mind's changing? So we end up with these ideas of having uh, gods in order to um, tell us when we've done wrong. So you don't win when you've done something wrong, he withdraws from us. And we, we create gods then that are doing things like punishing us. Oh, you know, and I've heard people say all my life when I prayed, you know, oh, God wasn't listening to me. He didn't hear me. Why? Oh, well, it must be because you had sin in your heart. See how we make it up, you see? We've already decided 
uh, what, how we change the view of God based on our own situations. So, Israel did this because if you remember one of the, the preachers that um, I did a long time ago, the, the, the Bible even shows you, if you want to take this as, as the truth or whatever, the Israelites did not have Yahweh as their God at the beginning. They actually had El, who was the, uh, the God of the uh, Canaanites, was their God. And it was only as Israel became their own nation, they decided, we don't want that God anymore. We're going to have a God of our own. So they created their own God in the context with all the attributes of El, and they put them all together, all the bits that they liked, and they put it into their God. Now that's why sometimes, and I remember I said at the beginning, this is about throwing things on the table to talk about. This is why sometimes I struggle with the God of Israel actually being the Abba of Jesus. And there, there are few out there who feel the same because they don't feel that the way that the story goes actually fits with Yahweh being the Abba of Jesus. But we can talk about that at another time if anybody is interested. Uh, interested. So, so gods are created to try and give us meaning. Um, it's also true that we, we create gods in a very interesting way as well. Like um, I said to Riley the other day, I said, uh, if you won't go to school... I said, the government will come and they'll, <laughs> they'll take your mummy away. And then I said, and if you don't go to school, you'll end up in prison. <laughs> and he's, what? And I says, well, little boys who don't go to school don't learn anything. And if you don't learn anything, you might end up having no money. And if you have no money, then you might end up stealing. And if you end up stealing, you'll be a robber and you'll end up in prison. Now, you might say, what's that all about? Can you see how we've created something to try and control it's like the bogeyman under the bed. It's like, and it, it's basically, that's what, what uh, humanity have done, even with their creation of gods. Now you're saying, are you saying then that, you know, basically the God of Jesus is just a, a creation of our, our minds? I, I don't believe that for a minute, but I'm trying to fit this story into a, a, a bigger picture so you can understand how things uh, work. So what we've got, is Jesus turning up in history not to God reject us. See, we think now in our lifetime that if we're wanting to talk to people, quote, about Jesus, we're wanting to introduce them to God, it's because they have no God. They're godless. When Jesus turned up, there was that many of them. Where, where would you start? And he's sort of saying, no, you know, there's a... There's a true God well actually this is where we're going to get to because he didn't do that he never said pointed to God he pointed to father and that to me is massive because what we've got in history is God's 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 this is when far a father is introduced and that to me is massively important and, and as I said that helps me it might not help you but it helps me because all of a sudden, we've got a very, very different approach. Now, again, am I on? Yeah, okay. Um, Jesus of history and the Christ of Christianity are different. Now, some of you might say, well, what, how? But they just are. Jesus of history, when we already mentioned this, um, can be proved, um, and can be proved, but only in very, very 
simple ways. The Gospels are the greatest proof, uh, in essence, of, of his life. But there are other things that are proofs of his history. And that there's basically very, very little we know. We know he was a Jew. We know he was an apocalyptic... This is outside the Gospel. See, outside the Gospel. He was an apocalyptic preacher. But even then, he had a different message. He preached this kingdom of, of heaven which was a very new idea that a lot of people, you know, weren't, weren't sort of banding around. And according to history, it's down there that basically, as a result, um, he was crucified for sedition by Rome. That's the Jesus of history. And the reason why I separate it for the, from the Christ of Christianity is because, one, there might be a little bit of evidence for... The other, you are talking about faith. And it's wonderful. Everybody ought to smile and go, yes, it's about faith. But it is. It's about faith. Um, that we have to then say, okay, how do we get to this place where we accept by faith that Jesus is the exact representation of, of Abba, the Father, and he came for whatever reason, and what he did in that bit there... Um, which we'll get to in a minute. So, um, Christian faith hinges on our belief that Jesus is the Son of God, but not only that he is the Son of God, but he is actually equal with God. So you've... And actually, it gets a little bit complicated in the sense that the reason why the Trinity was introduced was to actually try and fix what seemed to be a problem of having three gods. Because if you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that seemed like back to polytheism of having multiple gods. So they decide what we'll do, we'll make the Trinity. So it is one being, but with like tri-functional, tri you know, different functions. So we've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, we, again, we're not going to talk about that either, but that's something for you to think about. But this is when, when it gets a, 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 just very interesting for me. See, sons of God, again, were to a penny. They really were. To be a God-man or to be a man-God wasn't uncommon. It, it was in all of the, the uh, stories of the Greeks. It's in the stories of the Romans. Because that was a, a common idea. So a god could come down and be man, take on hum, human flesh, and men could become gods if they did stuff that was clever enough and mighty enough to give them some sort of status. So there was like a, a triangle uh, hierarchy in the context of how you could develop up to godhoodness uh, or divinity, being divine, um, in the context of what you could do. So if you think about it, let's give you some examples. The uh, Roman uh, Caesars, they were gods. And their children were called sons of God. I'm not making it up. It's just the truth. So that term is not exclusive to Jesus being the son of God. And again, we're not, I am not in any way saying he wasn't. I'm just trying to give you a, a, a bit of a picture about it. Um, you could, uh, I mean, 
you know, attain many levels of this divinity. Anyway, um, in, the, in the Bible, you, you hear that phrase a lot. So, you know, now are we the sons of God? So we, we are called sons of God. And um, if you go back to Genesis 6, which um, I remember doing this, and this went down like a lead balloon. Uh, but in Genesis 6, it's about the Nephilim and the fallen angels. The fallen angels were called sons of God. What? You can't have fallen angels called sons of God. Yeah, you can. Because it was a term that was used for a, a divine uh, being, but not fully God, but not... Are you with me? So it was, it was, it was a, a term. Um, so the issue was, it's easy to see how Jesus could be claimed to be the Son of God because he went round healing the sick, dealing with, with such issues, and, and therefore that would give him God status, a, a divinity and um, also, because of the resurrection, which is only, of course, written about when we get the Bible, it's written about in hindsight, that's when, of course, the term really gets to, to uh, stick because um, of, of his achievements, of the things that he'd, he'd done, you see. Um, but the question is, of course, we're asking, is Jesus the, the real deal? And I like that. Is Jesus the real deal? Okay, we've got all these other things that, are, things that are called sons of God, but is Jesus the son of God, um, sent by the Father? Was he the Messiah sent by God? And more so, was he actually God incarnate who, who, who came uh, to, to do whatever he was going to do? So um, that was it, what was incredible about what then became the story of Jesus. It, it was actually that he was not just, quote, the son of God, but he was actually equal with God himself. Now, the question comes, and this is an interesting one, does Jesus ever say that he was the son of God himself? I find the more that I read the, uh, the New Testament in the context of the stories about Jesus, you realize that, well, there's a couple of things. One is, he never wrote anything about himself. That's very interesting. This incredible being who is supposed to have done something so fantastic that's changed the course of history and the world never wrote a thing about himself. The Matthew, Mark and Luke actually never talk about him much in the context of his divinity or very little, uh, I'm, I'm not making it absolute, but very little. They tend to talk about him more as Jesus the man and what he was doing. And, um, and neither did, of course, Jesus, if you think about it, preach the gospel that the church preaches today about what his cross meant in the, while he was alive. And wouldn't you have thought that he would have, if, if, if this was so significant, he would have preached it he tended to be very much, uh, and again, this is another study for another time, and we have touched on it before. He tended to talk to the Jewish people about what was happening to them and what was going to happen to them. And if they heard, heard the word and, and, and literally sat up and listened, they would be saved. And of course, he was talking most of the time about AD 70 when the Romans were going to uh, um, uh, march on on Jerusalem, which again is for another story. Um, so 
The Gospels tend to focus on Jesus the man. And I think that's wonderful. And I think Jesus actually liked that because there's many references when even there is stories of demonic uh, encounters and they say, ah, you're the son of God. And he tells them to shut up. Because actually Jesus wasn't ever flouting his, his godhood. He was saying, I'm here as a man. And that is absolutely incredible. Again, that's a, a, another thing to, to look at. He was saying, what I'm going to do, I am here as a son of God, just like we are sons of God. But I'm here as a man because I have got to do this as a, as a man. And uh, so it was only actually after the resurrection uh, and in the, the apostles, you know, the, the, the letters of Paul, where you're actually getting a more of an understanding of the, of the status that he's being given to Jesus. Other than in um, John's Gospel, and of course John somehow has got this incredible revelation that it's more than just a man. And that's where you get your lovely picture of Jesus being God incarnate. It was it the word in the beginning. And John's really banging this drum. But he's pretty much out there alone because the others weren't doing that. So there's a few questions that have to be asked here. So he's suddenly given this incredibly divine status. But then questions have to be asked like, when did uh, he become God? Was he God at his birth? Was he God at his death? Was he God at his resurrection? When did he become God? And so, of course, you've got all these questions that now you're making a, a doctrine up, you see? See how it works? You get, you, you know, all your, uh, your, your big theories again. Um, and then, of course, they settle with the idea, and of course, that's what I've just said about John. The idea, no, he's always been God, right from the beginning and he's just actually appeared God in the flesh uh, in, in this time and space. Now just going to back to John, Jesus doesn't ever refer to himself as God either in John. He refers to himself as I am which of course is the reason or one of the reasons why the people were very upset with him because he says you, you dare to call yourself equal with God, you're calling yourself I am. That upset them a lot. Um, and he also said, I and the Father are one. And we, we mentioned that a lot uh, here. And whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So he was saying that there is a connection here. But are you noticing he's not using the word God? He's using Father. And like I said a, a, a bit ago, it really, um, it, that helps me. So Jesus mixed with Judah. Judaism, because he's a Jew, of course, you have to look at how his work on the cross is bringing one thing to an end and potentially starting a new thing. Now, what I like about this is the fact that the, the, the um, what do you call it when, when it's the, uh, the names of all the people, the genealogies, sorry, I'll get there in the end, all the genealogies um, that are listed in, in scripture, up to, G, up to Jesus from Adam is 41. And Jesus is the 41st generation. But Christ is 42nd generation. Now you say, how can there be two generations in one man? Because 
technically there isn't. You know, you are of, you will be of one generation. I am of one generation. But Jesus was of two. And I, for me, again, in helping how this fits, is that what Jesus is doing is being Jesus for the 41st uh, generations and he's Christ for everybody in the future and also everybody in the past but he's bringing one thing to an end in the, as Jesus and he's starting something else as, uh, as the Christ because Christ, the anointed one was a being other than Jesus now I know that sounds a little bit, bit weird but it's because there was two beings in, in, in one, one person. So that's why we were able to talk about last week in the context of Jesus being seen as a sacrificial lamb in the context of resolving all the God issues of history because he's actually saying, I'll tell you what, this is it. We're going to do something once and for all. Sort all you lot out because we've had enough of all this. You haven't got the, the vision of God right at all in all that you've done. So let's stop this fair and square. I'll be that lamb. I will abolish the, uh, the, 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 the law with this offering and we can move on. And then, of course, as Christ, the risen Christ, what you have is the new covenant uh, set in motion where it says that there's neither Jew nor Greek nor, uh, nor Gentile, there's male nor female, there's not slave or free, just everybody is going to be now born in Christ and of Christ. So that is basically the very simple thing of what happened there on, on, on the cross. But you see, there's other couple of things there that if we're not careful that Jesus and Judaism get mixed up because we then desperately need him to fulfill certain parameters which are more than him just being a picture of the lamb that is the sacrifice that abolishes the law because like we, we talked about last week we make him the atonement lamb and that means this and then we make him the Passover lamb and that means this and it all gets uh, more and more uh, complicated so it gets mixed up um, and I won't go into why. We can look at that maybe another time. And then, as I said, Christianity gets mixed up then with, with empire. And uh, that's what happens then. But we'll, let's now look at just this 300-year bit, can we, in the middle and then um, see where that leads, leads us. So was Jesus the real, real deal? Whatever he did revolutionised the world. And whatever it was, was deemed foolish looking um, in the context of religion as it was seen in those days because not uh, anything like it had been seen before. And as I said at the beginning, it seemed absent of God and it seemed very present with a father. Now remember, the father, to associate uh, God as your father, was a no-no because it, it brought him into a personal realm. It had to be kept separate. You know, gods were, were powerful and you can't make it relational. And that's suddenly what's, what's happened. And um, I thought of the, the, the scripture that says, um, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that came to me thinking, yeah, the abolishment of the law 
And what was created in its place, and I said you could, you know, we could have a pamphlet that just says love one another as I have loved you. You could have also, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is like, what was the yoke? The yoke was what you, uh, what any rabbi held as their list of, uh, this is what, if, you, if you're going to follow me, this is what you have to do, right? That was the rabbi's yoke. So what we've got is him saying that my commands or my yoke is very, very easy and my burden is light. Well, you can imagine that Jesus has just abolished a very burdensome law. And what he's brought in place is a very easy, very light. You know, you know what I'm saying? Command. I mean, I'm just trying to show you that it's different than what we thought. Because we still can tend to be uh, guilty of having the having Jesus, uh, sorry, the old covenant with Jesus added on. So we keep wanting to go back. Oh, well, yeah, but we better do this and we better do that. He said, no, my yoke is easy. My burden is, burden is light. And um, we come then to uh, the fact that there was great joy in this period um, after the death and resurrection because there was a whole bunch of very joyful people. Now, remember, it was predominantly Jewish and those Jews, you can imagine the oppression that they had been under with all the sacrifices, with all the, the, the commands that they had to keep and the way that they had to live. And uh, suddenly they are free, believing that Jesus being the exact representation of the Father was actually telling them what, what really the rules were. And it was very light and it was very easy so you can imagine the joy um so they were free from this horrendous god concept which like we said had literally ruled right from from the beginning and um a lot of the new testament then is dealing with the fact that these people there in that 300 year period like i said at the beginning were deemed heretics and atheists, because it's how do we deal with these people? The, 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 they're not doing it right. They're not really worshipping God. They're not serving God. But actually, they'd been set free in the love of a father. Can you see the difference? Being set free in the love of a father, and that's why I wanted to build up the issue of God's for you, because unless you make it understandable that the, the horrendous oppression of it all, you don't see how amazing it is for it to be brought to an, an end. So the New Testament, as we read the apostles, and, and you go and have a look at it. Well, can they come in? Are they allowed in? Yeah, but they're not doing this and they're not doing that. And all it starts because you've got this uh, desperate need to pull things back into a religious model. And sadly, it, it keeps happening even now. It, it's all the time, unless we fight it. So I want to uh, just, just read something that uh, I think will help. Most brands of theism, regardless of the gods at the helm, have certain things in common because they all seem to look just like us. In Christianity, however, God becomes something completely different from everything and anything we've envisioned so the lives of his followers became as different from the culture as God is, from the gods of that culture. And I've said there, the, the, the ungodlike God, that's where we say he's the ungodlike God. 
Some of you struggle, I think, because I think you'd like the God like God back. I think we'd feel we'd, we, we'd appreciate that one. But anyway, I don't know. To the outside observer, the Christ followers seem to be living a godless life, not a God-filled one. Those early churches were radical communities of love that operated without a sacred temple. Get that? Without. Now, why? Because suddenly they were the temple. They didn't need a, an external temple because they were it. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm going ahead. Um, um, or a sacrificial system or a political agenda. They were strange and peculiar individuals whose God and lifestyles did not in any way resemble those of theists, you know, God believers uh, in their day. Now, if you think about it, I've already said it, what did Jesus say to his disciples? He says, I'll build my church, my ecclesia. And we know that that word ecclesia means called out ones. You're called out of something. So what we have here is they're being called out of a very oppressive regime called out into a very free, incredible, uh, 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 well, oh, what do you call it? Just something in open space, an incredible open space. Um, And instead of the temple being, like was said, you know, a, a, a sacred temple, the temple was going to be made of them in which the divine lived and we were going to be God's address. So we, we don't need another address. He's not up in heaven. He's, not, he's in you. He's, he's going to be in us. And um, we were all going to be fitly framed together throughout the world. And where did Christ fit? As the cornerstone. Now, cornerstones are old-fashioned. We don't think in terms of cornerstones anymore. But all old historic buildings, especially those that go back in the day, especially ones that have got historic value, have got that cornerstone and it is known as the cornerstone and it's what keeps everything square. You know, it keeps it from being bent and, 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 and ugly and horrible. And so Christ is the cornerstone. But we are, and I drew a little picture and I just drew like a little church with all stones with iron and, you know, obviously Christ in the corner. So there's an individuality but we, we're together. And it's that business of the, the unity without the uniformity. But are, are you with me? We're still individuals. Um, and stones, of course, are being added all the time. But not when they actually, quote, become religious. But it's when they just recognise that the divine is already within them. And they wake up to who they are. They automatically fit into the, the temple that already, already exists. So whatever this thing, you know, was foolishness because it was nothing like the gods of the empire. And it was a path, it was a way of living, not a belief system. Um, and so... Ooh. So Jesus was doing a few things uh, at once. And um, like we've said, he was, he was dealing with the 41st generation. He's dealing with the 42nd generation. And um, I believe that what Jesus appeared to show us what we'd lost sight of. And um, what religion will always do is try and make up for what we've lost sight of. 
And um, uh, when we understand that we are connected, then we realise that we had no need for all the gods that we'd created before. If you see, if you see what I mean? Very simply, he came to abolish that understanding. So um, let me read this and, and then I'm nearly done. Um, religion had become big business and that's why I mentioned what then Constantine had done. They were classed as heretics, they were classed as atheists, but then all of a sudden Constantine said, nah, what we're going to do is we're going to bring some uniformity to this and make it so that, um, you know, there's some power to it. And in fact, what was going on with the heretics and atheists, it was very much a, a humble, what appeared to be a very powerless, not in the sense that it didn't have power, but it wasn't something that was a dominating power. You see the difference? Um, so let me just read you this. In Jesus, God has put up a gone fishing sign on the religion shop. He has done the whole job in Jesus once and for all and simply invited us to believe it. To trust the bizarre, unprovable proposition that in him, every last person on earth is already home free without a single religious exertion. No fasting till your knees fold, no prayers you have to get right or else, no standing on your head with your right thumb in your left ear and reciting the correct creed, no nothing. The entire show has been set to rights in the mystery of Christ, even though nobody can see a single improvement. Yes, it sounds crazy. And yes, it's wild and outrageous and vulgar. And any God who would do such a thing is a God who has no taste. And worst of all, it doesn't sell worth beans. But it is good news. The only permanently good news there is, and therefore I find it absolutely captivating. Now, for me, that is what I believe that Jesus did. He shut the religion shop up once and for all. And then... What I believe happened in 313 was Constantine relaunched it. And ever since then, we have had all these different meanings. And I haven't gone through them. We've touched on them before. But the different meanings of what the cross meant. But every meaning means that something is demanded of you. Whereas what we're saying with Jesus is nothing is demanded of you. And it's, it's all finished. So I just want to give you one other little illustration. And it's this. Um, when, a, when a baby is born, they, the first part of the life, I don't know how long it is, um, they do not understand itself as an individual. They only see themselves as a, an extension of everything. So mum is only an extension of them. And the world, the people around, is only an extension of them. They don't know how to separate uh, anything. And... Um, uh, it's quite an interesting thing that you watch a child suddenly know that it's different from everybody else. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Why? Because they develop the I, don't they? They get me, I, I'm going to do it. And um, I'm, you know, I'm me, you're you. Um, it's a, quite a revelation and you see them begin to operate within that separation. Now... If we're not careful, you can see that and because separation is a word that's been used in the church a lot. That you know, The gospel is you've become separated from God by your sin and therefore Jesus has to be the one who fixes that between you and God. But if you think about it, the moment a child becomes separate in the understanding of him 
being an individual, it does not separate him from its mother. It just doesn't. And you wouldn't say to, oh, that's it, he's, you know, he's become a sinner and a, he's committed a crime and therefore that crime has got to be paid for. You, you say, no, what has happened? Evolution in itself has allowed that to happen. Maturity has propelled the, the child to actually become an individual. But the bond between parents is not broken. Now, I think that that's helpful in the context of identity creation creates individuation, but it doesn't end up with separation. And yet we've been told, no, it's separation. And, and, and God always knew that we would grow, we'd grow up and we'd have our own I, but it, the bond was never broken. And yet we were told through all these different meanings, yeah, that's it. You've committed a crime and that crime's got to be uh, paid for now. Um, you know, I was even taught that, you know, as from a baby being born, they were inherently sinful. That's what, what my, my upbringing was. But the, the issue is in the context of when we are born again, that actual phrase means remember your beginnings. And what it's really telling us to do, remember that right from the beginning, you are one with God. And you may have grown up and you may have become a little independent, but the bond is not broken. And that to me is, is, is just beautiful. And uh, a question was asked, well, you know, how does this oneness, this understanding of Jesus bringing us back into a, a, a be reminded of the oneness with the Father, um, does it actually create, uh, solve problems of the evil in the world and does it answer uh, how, we, how we live or how we do things? And I would say yes, because if I know who I am and who I am not separated from, that makes me make decisions in a very particular way. And so... If love is the more excellent way, which Jesus said, this is it, and that's why, you know, if, if, if we just had the pamphlet with love one another as I have loved you, it might be easy to grasp, but it's not always as it's so easy to do because love being the more excellent way can often be harder than what religion offer, offers. Now, let me say why. Because in here, we can have all different ideas and those differences can cause us not to love each other. Isn't that, that true? So if we all believe the same, it's actually more likely that we would love each other because there's less likely for upset and, and difficulty. Um, and, and in religion, in that uniformity, like I said, I can keep my eye and my form. And in some ways, it allows me to continue to be unloving because I can always revert to a, a model or a system that somehow gets me out of the, 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 uh, the need to actually look at my heart and say, what is causing this, this issue here? So the question is, can I be Jesus? Can I be a son of God like he was um, and be a propeller of the good news? The fact that the bond isn't broken and there is no separation and I and the Father are one. And like Anne said, the, I am part of the Godhead in the context that I am one with it and I'm part of the universe, the one song. 
Oh, see, this makes me smile. It makes me smile far more than all these other meanings that I've been brought in in the context of my memory has been changed to understand my beginnings. I'm born again. I am, I am one with, but I'm still an individual, but I'm one with. You see, see my point? So um, let me just read one more thing and then I'm done. Um, when Constantine got hold of things, he discovered that there was a power gap and the amalgamation of the empire, um, Jesus filled that gap. And uh, we, it took Jesus out of being a relational being, of being one with the Father, and we were one with the Father, and basically they stuck him back on a throne and made him God again. And you can see how that works in the constant, how church works. You know, he becomes God, something to fear, something to revere, as opposed to a dad that we're close to. And I'll just read this. When the Christian church became the established religion of the empire after the year 313, it started reading the gospel from the position of maintaining power and social order instead of experiencing the profound power of powerlessness that Jesus revealed. In a sense, Christianity almost became a different religion. The failing Roman Empire needed an emperor and Jesus was used to fill the power gap. In effect, we Christians took Jesus out of the Trinity and made him into a God on a throne. An imperial system needs law and order and clear belonging systems more than it wants mercy, meekness, or transformation. Much of Jesus' teaching about simple living, non-violence, inclusivity, and love of enemies became incomprehensible. Relationship, the shape of God as Trinity, was no longer as important. Christianity's views of God changed. The Father became angry and distant, and Jesus was reduced to an organizing principle and for all practical and dynamic purposes, the Holy Spirit was forgotten. And sadly, that's what we're battling. And I'm not ashamed to say I'm battling it because I want to get back to the bit of the before the 313 where there's so much joy because the burden's lifted. And I know for you guys, I know John, you've mentioned it and Barbara, you've said that you've never felt such a, a lift in what we've understood isn't that right? Because when you get an understanding of, of what really Jesus came to do, the only thing it can do is bring freedom. But remember, it's freedom to live in the law of love that can sometimes feel much harder than the law. So there you go. I'll leave it there. There's other things we can say, but we'll leave it there. Oh, where does Jesus fit for me? He's the revelation of the Father of which I am one with. The religion shop is closed for good. Love is an endless ocean I can't escape. My existence is energised by nothing less than infinite love. There you go. That's my contribution. Hope it's been of interest to you. Thank you. Yeah, from, from you going through it, suddenly come to me my thinking as you were going through it all. Would it be true to say then that Christianity is birthed from pagan thinking and paganistic rituals, particularly post 300? 
that modern day Christianity, look at what you're saying, is all the rules and sacrifices and everything, is going back, way back to the paganistic thinking, which Christianity is called pagan. Is that, is it, would it be true, true to say that? Because that's what I think is what we're saying here. Well I, th- I, th- I, I, well, I think Jesus came to abolish the paganistic thinking. Yeah, that, that's what right? I mean. Yeah. And then from 300 onwards, we revert back mm-hmm. to the paganistic... And that's what I said. We, we went back to it through Constantine because there's no power in this. There's no power in this bit. I mean, that's put in a simplified way. Absolutely. That, that's but fine. if we put the word pagan... Mm-hmm. I'll happily put the word pagan. Which is (laughs) anti-Christ. Then I think it gives you a more simple view of the thinking that was before Jesus came and post 300. Mm -hmm. Then you get the understanding of why they were called heretics. Mm -hmm. That middle part. Mm -hmm. Heretics come from post 300. You know, the Inquisition and all that. You are heretics mm-hmm. and atheists. So have a think about that. That's just my, my take on what you were saying. I think you've done very well. Thank you. I should have come to you and you should have given me the line. <laughs> now, I was only trying to give you, the, you know, more of a framework of it because the, the, it, it's right. It's all pagan ideas. And, and, of course, when we get to the whole idea of Jesus being the sacrifice for sin... Um, that is purely pagan. You can't get anything other pagan than that. So, yeah, absolutely. Well done. Any other questions? No? Okay, then. Well, thank you for being such kind listeners and, you know, hope, hope it's been helpful. Yeah. I feel that, that the issue for us... Right, and I'll be honest with you, Dave, my, my problem comes is that we are trying to be this and it's not appreciated because it's getting the same sort of attitude. We're a heretic. We're a heretic, see? And it's right. And, and it's not that we're wanting to, you know, bang the drum and say, oh, please don't treat us this way, but this is the truth. And we either will see ourselves and rejoice that actually, to be a heretic and an atheist is great. Or we'll think, no, there's something wrong. And I mean, I'll tell you how many times that we are told that, well, actually, you're wrong. You're this. Oh, you, you know, you're backslidden and you're this, that and the other. And I'll say, well, well no, because what we're trying to do is get back here. That's where I want to get. I want to get there. So thank you again for listening. And uh, I apologise if I was too wordy, and but I was just trying to, you know, give give you what, I understood. All right, thank you.